This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Christine Lagarde announced she is stepping down as managing director of the International Monetary Fund as she's been nominated as the first female president of the European Central Bank. Lagarde was the first woman to head the IMF, taking over from Dominique Strauss-Kahn in 2011, who was forced to resign after a sexual assault scandal. If sworn in, she brings an unusual resume as she is a lawyer and not an economist or with a background in running a central bank. However, it should be noted Jerome Powell, the chair of the Federal Reserve, was also trained as a lawyer. Now, there are many challenges facing the ECB as economic growth in the Eurozone has slowed dramatically. Europe's finance ministers have already approved Lagarde's nomination to the ECB. So what happens next? With more on this move, we are joined in studio by Krista Schwartz, who is an assistant professor of finance here at the Wharton School. And also joining us, Ashoka Modi, visiting professor in international economic policy at Princeton University's Woodrow Wilson School. Also the former deputy director in the International Monetary Fund's research in European departments and author of the book Euro Tragedy, A Drama in Nine Acts. Krista, great to see you again. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Ashoka. Great to have you back with us. Oh, thank you very much, yes. Thank you. So so let's start, Ashoka, with the candidacy. And I think that's one of the questions being asked right now of whether or not Christine Lagarde is the person that should be taking over uh, for Mario Draghi. What are your thoughts? Look, uh, at this point, anybody who takes over that position is in a very difficult situation. Um, the European Central Bank has essentially run out of ammunition. And as you rightly pointed out in your introduction, is imminently facing, if not a recession, very weak economic conditions. We know that inflation has remained very low, on average around 1%, but very low in countries like Italy and France, where it is close to half a percent or three quarters of a percent. There's a sense of deflationary uh, psychology setting in in the Eurozone. The ECB, we have to remember, is not a normal central bank. It is not the central bank of a nation state. It is a central bank of a confederation of states. And therefore, is always stemmed in, uh, constrained by the various national interests on the governing council. So this is not an easy task for anybody. I'm not sure what Christine Lagarde will bring to this table. Krista? So for those very reasons, I agree absolutely with everything um, that has just been said. It is a massive job that she has ahead of her and very large shoes to fill because I think Mario Draghi has been... um, incredible in the the role of the ECB president himself, and he's been very much respected. So big shoes to fill there. But for the reasons that were mentioned, that it is something that is about, you know, we've got this perhaps uh, low inflation or deflationary expectation entrenched in the euro area, and it's not a central bank of just one country, but of a group. I think Christine Lagarde is actually um, a very good person to be handling precisely those problems. She certainly has experience in negotiating with multiple countries and in coordinating 
um, bringing very diverse views to a single table. She, you know, had a, 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 a large role in the um, Greek debt restructuring and basically was responsible for them not defaulting. Um, and with regard to how the psychology of the consumer is or the investor in the euro area. I think that what the ECB's strongest potential is at the moment, perhaps, um, is to have a sense that they are, you know, things that characterize Christine Lagarde, energetic, decisive, confident, um, and have a, a positive outlook for the future and that there's nothing that can't be accomplished. Um, I mean, to say that the ECB is out of ammunition, I guess in the traditional sense, yes, that, that's been the case for quite some time. They have some other, as I'm sure everyone knows, uh, tools that they've used in the yep. past and some of which they've used more recently. Yep. Um, and, you know, with Christine's own experience, I think she has demonstrated in the the positions that she has had that she's willing to think outside the box. And coming into this, she clearly has a very strong sense of what the state of the euro area economy is in. Um, she's seen it from the inside with the crisis. She was the France's finance minister when the two BNP Paribas funds basically sparked off the crisis um, in 2007. And so she, you know, has a has a view of how all the pieces fit together. Um, it is true. She doesn't have specific experience with central banking, which is outside of the mold of the first three presidents of the ECB, but there have only been three. So how then, and I mentioned Jerome Powell, obviously not an economist, but running the Federal Reserve right now. Can you make a correlation between what Christine Lagarde may be facing going into the ECB, assuming she takes over the position for Mario Draghi, and what Jerome Powell has kind of been facing since he jumped in as as the head of the Federal Reserve, as the chair of the Fed? Yeah, so I think it's actually very, very similar in some ways, um, a bit different in others. But um, the difference with Jerome Powell is that he had been on the board. Um, so he effectively had central bank experience um, at the highest level and was as involved as anyone could be. Right. Um, and he'd worked directly with Janet Yellen while she was the, the chair. Um, in contrast, Christine Lagarde just hasn't actually explicitly worked at a central bank, um, but she has interacted with them extensively and is... So Jerome Powell, I think, coming into um, his position, there was sort of an expectation that he would extend, at least for the time being, the, I don't know if you want to call it status quo or whatever the policies were that Yellen had in place. And they were very much on the same page. And I, I think you can um, say the same thing for, for Christine Lagarde. There wasn't much of a market reaction to her... Um, 
to her nomination. And she seems to be very much on the same page as um, Mar- uh, Mario Draghi. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a, an expectation. She basically has expressed that she's willing to consider unconventional monetary policy. Um, so I, I think there's an expectation that there won't be much of a beat lift uh, missed uh, in the transition from one to the other. Right. And that um, there may be perhaps a greater reliance on economic, like the deep technical and perhaps theoretical expertise on the staff. So, for right. instance, the on the executive board, Philip Lane, the former governor of the Central Bank of Ireland, he is probably going to be relied on much more by her. Um, and the same with Jerome Powell. I'm, I'm sure that he accesses others' views. Um, and, you know, as a leader, being able to do that and synthesize that is really the key to success. Ashoka, your thoughts? So uh, uh, Karl Marx said men or women make their own destiny, but in the circumstances that are handed down to them. And... The circumstances with Jerome Powell and Christine Lagarde face are very different. Uh, The U.S. economy has, in general, performed well. Uh, That allowed uh, Janet Yellen to raise interest rates uh, so that there is space now, policy space, to reduce interest rate and create monetary stimulus. The circumstances that... Uh, Christine Lagarde inherits are very different, both in terms of growth and inflation, and particularly importantly in terms of the instruments. Look, I very much agree with the characterization that your other guest has of Christine Lagarde's personal qualities. The, The issue is what conceivably can the European Central Bank do? i just run through very quickly its four options. Number one is reducing policy interest rates, which is the interest rate set to guide uh, uh, market interest rates. They're already negative. It, to make them more negative creates enormous distortions in the market, creates pressure on bank profitability, is highly undesirable. Quantitative easing, which is the purchase of bonds for long-term, long-term bonds to bring down long-term interest rates, is again both technically difficult and politically impossible for the European Central Bank, which already owns something of the order of 25% of the bonds of the Confederation of Nations. And to buy more bonds, it will soon start owning some of those countries, which is politically unacceptable on something called forward guidance, which is the promise we will not raise interest rates in the future. There is, there is, it's, a, it's a worthless statement because everybody knows that they cannot raise their interest rates in the future. And everything else is minor tinkering in, in a setting which is, which is almost in a, not just in a recession, but you have con- a country like Italy which may tip into a crisis. So it is it is very different from the European from the Federal Reserve, which is 
which is a normal central bank, which is also the world's central bank, which has enormous power and reach, where the ECB is in a completely different situation, yep. completely un- in not comparable to the Federal Reserve. And, and, and I wonder, Ashoka, as part of something was said earlier, the fact that the European Central Bank, you're doing, you're dealing with a variety of countries and a variety of different opinions in comparison to what the Federal Reserve is. Is sure it's fifty states, but it's one country. Well, not only so. Even even if you look at if you look at the transcripts of the FOMC meetings, this is the Federal Open Market Committee, which makes the monetary policy decisions. You 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 see that there is a divergence of views even in the FOMC. That, but that that does not mean that it does not come out with a clear consensus view, which is both important and forward-looking. Mm-hmm. You saw that repeatedly in the crisis that the Fed, even when there were divergent views, took forward-looking decisions. The ECB, in contrast, because it is hamstrung by the uh, conflicting viewpoints within the European, uh, within the governing council, always acts late. By it, 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 it has this standard pattern of denial that there is no real problem right now. Then it takes half measures. And then when it does take the measures, they are too late. By then, it has lost market credibility. So we are talking about very different settings. Krista? So I think um, in in the time that Draghi has been the president of the ECB, that he actually has brought back quite a bit of credibility to the to the central bank. Um, I absolutely agree with your characterization up to sort of that point. But one of the most powerful things that he did, and I think what his legacy is, is his statement in 2012 of we'll do whatever it takes, which was yeah. more effective. And it really was the thing that brought long rates, long government debt rates of countries that just would not have been able to sustain issuance at those levels um, down enough to avoid this terrible adverse feedback of a, a self-fulfilling crisis across countries, debt crisis across countries at that time. And that was years before they even began QE. Um, there was not a single euro that was expended in that maneuver. That was all about psychology and expectations. And, you know, forward guidance the term and the way that it's used is a tool. Um, But I think there's something a bit more beyond that that can be quite powerful um, in the belief that the institution, you know, can turn things around. That just makes people more confident and makes them behave in a way that they might not otherwise. Um, Another thing is that I, I absolutely agree that the central bank can't do everything and it can't fix something beyond what the scope of its tools are um, in a in a technical sense but on a more sort of political personal level i think some of the things that could be tremendously helpful for the european economy such as fiscal steps different steps for different countries, some spending more, such as Germany, getting rid of the surpluses, and some spending less, such as Italy. Um, I think just to 
bring them on the same page fiscally, not that they have to be coordinated and there's the, the central fiscal authority or anything like that. I don't think that's realistic at all, um, not in my lifetime at least, but to just sort of be kind of sharing the same objectives. Um, and that's something that could be quite powerful as a complementary tool to monetary policy. We see the same thing in the U.S., um, that the central bank, you can either have its work enhanced by the Treasury Department mm -hmm. or you can have it working in the opposite direction. And, and it's done both in recent history. Um, and I think for fiscal is one thing. Um, a banking union, which they have kicked off in the euro area and which I think that Lagarde can push forward, um, that's something else that is going to be perhaps a more medium to long term stabilizing force. But I think that's something those are the type of things that are, again, outside of what you think of as, as the mandate, the classic mandate of a central banker and especially the head of a central bank. But, you know, she she tends to broaden the roles that she steps into um, and it's quite possible that she might achieve something that none of us would have even thought was an option um, prior to her doing it. Ashoka? So uh, just a very quick comment on uh, the Draghi whatever you take, take pledge in, um, in July of 2012. Clearly, that was a game changer. It, it, it diffused a potentially... Uh, dangerous situation that could have even led to the breakup of the Eurozone. Remember, even that was a political decision. Uh, Draghi got the immediate and unrestrained help of Chancellor Merkel. Merkel was clear that she did not want the uh, Eurozone to break up under her watch. She publicly supported Draghi in opposition to her own president of the Bundesbank, Jens Wildman. But on QE and everything else, on normal monetary policy, Merkel stood by Jens Weidman in restraining and constraining the ECB exactly as her German interests would dictate. So the, the, the Draghi moment was very brief in July of 2012. The, the normal operation of monetary policy from July 2012 to the end of 2014 was hamstrung. That is when the deflationary psychology set in, despite whatever efforts Draghi could make. On the other policies, uh, on, on fiscal policy, banking union, look, they are embedded in a very deep history of the Eurozone, which, which has repeated itself over half a century. And the fundamental, the fundamental problem with the construction of the Eurozone is we will not pay the bills of other countries. That is a, a foundational principle that, that just does not go away, despite every, every logical economic reason why it should. Therefore, a banking union, as Christian rightly said, is a sort of is a shot in the dark. It's essential. Essentially, a banking union requires a federal government. In the United States, you have a banking union through the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation because it has the full faith and credit 
of the U.S. Treasury behind it. There, 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 is, there, there has never been, and I cannot see how there ever will be, a, 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 a European Treasury that has the scale and match of of uh, the U.S. Treasury. The, the Europeans have deliberately chosen to not go that route because the history of nation-states, despite all the horrors the nation-state has inflicted, remains deeply embedded in, in, in that construction. So I, I don't see how fiscal policy and banking policy can A, be, be modified, and B, what role Christine Lagarde can play in this. She will be a minor actor in, 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 among much bigger players who are the heads of state and government in, in the Eurozone. Then, Ashoka, then, assuming she is in this position in a couple of months in this role, then, then what are her most important things that she has to look at? Look, uh, you, you, you've noted that my tone is very pessimistic over here. I, I mean, I'm not, I, I have no good answer to that question. Okay. What can she look at? She, she can hold, hold, hold course. You know, she can, she can do a lot of talking to, to, to encourage a more positive psychology like Kristen is suggesting. But, the Italian consumer who has decided that inflation is not has not risen for the last several years is not likely to rise. The that consumer is not going to be moved by 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 words at this point. Uh, I think that there is we, we are we are facing a very difficult situation. In a sense, I feel I feel almost sorry for whoever. Christine Lagarde or whoever else is the incumbent, because they're walking into a situation where the degrees of freedom are very limited. Look, I know Philip Lane is a very brilliant economist, and and I understand that you know he and others will think up of clever solutions, but the time for clever solutions, in my judgment, is is well is well past. Krista. So I have to agree that the situation, you know, the outlook is not rosy. Um, inflation is low. Growth is stagnant. Um, and the central bank has done a lot. Um, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. You could say that it might have done some of the things earlier, but it just hasn't. Some of the tools that they have used in the sense, say, since the crisis. Um, you know, QE is something that we saw Japan doing, but some of the other things hadn't really been established as monetary policy tools. Um, they're targeted uh, lending operations, um, the, you know, tying loan-making of banks to the quantity of funds that they receive in the operations and to the rates that they're getting on them. Um, forward guidance even isn't something that I don't think we heard that term prior to uh, a decade ago. And so I can't explicitly point to what I think so the scope of the ECB is going forward, 
but I can say that I'm sure there are things that were we haven't discussed that we may not even have thought of yeah. that are possible going forward. I, I, as I mentioned before, I don't think that there's going to be a treasury of the European Monetary Union. I yeah. don't think that that's realistic at all. Um, but I do think that there is a way to be strategic about communication and coordination um, and to affect sort of willingness of players, large players, that could then affect outcomes uh, with regard to growth. There's, I think it is something that probably at this point, since Christine's name has been in the press a lot, uh, most people know that she was on the French national synchronized swimming team. And that seems like a fun fact. But then when you think about it, what is required for a synchronized swimmer? You have to be completely aware of what everyone around you is doing in order for the whole thing to succeed. You have to be aware of others and then fulfilling your role in a very precise way. And you're not doing this in a vacuum. You're doing it against the backdrop of music that you're supposed to be kind of swimming to. And so, you know, the way I think of this is that she's sort of always had this tendency to be kind of a team player, be responsive to the environment around her and the other actors in the the situation that she's in. Anyhow, so I think that's kind of a nice little parallel and we'll, to draw. And we'll leave it there at that point. Krista, thanks for coming in. Thank nice. you so much for having me. Thank you. Ashoka, it's always great to talk to you. We will catch up with you down the road. Thank you very much, Dan. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.